today's Galazzo salutes one of the all-time greats when he could be bothered. Managers didn't get him, fans couldn't get enough of him. He is Álvaro Recoba. Hello, listener. Hello, Gabriele Marcotti. Hello. Hello, James Horncastle. Good day. Good day to you. It's always a good day when you're chatting about El Chino. He was named after his favourite pair of trousers, correct? No. That's absolutely how that nickname came about. Alvaro Recoba with his tattoo of Che Guevara and his weaponized left foot. The man who Massimo Moratti described as quite simply football, and this, after all, is a man who bought Ronaldo, who bought Christian Vieri, Roberto Baggio, but Recoba was always his favourite. Another yeah, quote... And that pretty much... If you want to understand Inter's 20 years of underachievement in the Moratti era until they sold their soul to Satan, to the Portuguese Satan from Setubal, um, it's in that Moratti phrase. The fact that his favorite player, I think his second favorite player, by the way, was Canu, which might help explain things. When he got three pay rises in the space of two years when, during which he played about five games, he really believes this is football, right? The right. romance and everything yeah. of somebody who doesn't run, doesn't tackle, his mind wanders, you don't even realize he's there. I don't think there is a player in history who achieved so little relative to his fame and the amount of money he made. And oh, I thought you were going to say relative to his talent. Where do you stand on his talent? James Horncastle also with us who's going to weigh in <laughs> in a second, but Gab, where do you stand on Rakova's talent? You know, I struggle with this. Obviously, he had an amazing foot, which we saw occasionally. Some of us also remember all the times that he shanked the ball every which way with his left foot. We see him at times. We see him sprinting. We see him, you know, those first, that's the other thing about him. Because he has that sort of round face, Yeah, he looked like he was carrying some timber, which for a lot of his career, he obviously was. Right. But he also had these extraordinarily quick feet. And especially early in his career, you could see him making sort of those 10, 15 runs where, to 10, 15 meter runs where he just kind of like accelerates through a crowd of, of players and, you know, you, you wonder, he had that, that change of pace. But then you just never saw it again. You know, it's kind of like, in some ways, maybe there's a slight parallel with early Cassano, right? I don't know if you agree with this, James, in terms of that, that guy who looks distinctly unathletic, but then could just turn it on. No, and I think Cassano is exactly the, 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 the difference, though, with Cassano is that Recoba wasn't nuts. He wasn't crazy. You know, I mean, he was just lazy. And, uh, you know, his wife tells this story about how she had to basically put his clothes out every morning because... Otherwise he would not get dressed. <laughs> Otherwise he would not get dressed. Yeah. So, Gab, you, you take one view on him. And certainly a lot of managers, I think, shared your opinion of Alvaro Recoba. Others like Juan Sebastián Verón... Uh, a it's a fine example, yeah. by the way, of work ethic. Well, yeah, but, uh, you know, for some people, players like that are, are, are what gives them pleasure. Varane's saying of Rakoba, the only reason he wasn't the best player in the world is that he didn't want to be. He was an extraordinary figure, and especially, I guess, in late 90s Italian football. It was quite refreshing to see somebody looking much like they bunked off school for a trip down the arcades. Well, that, that's, and, the other, that's the other line he has. He was uh, like, uh, you know where you go to school, there are some classes you right. like taking and there's some that you don't like taking the class I don't like taking is training right. the class I do like taking is playing games right <laughs> which he, he sometimes got to do and sometimes didn't Pippo Maniero who was briefly and massively successfully his, his partner at, at Venezia saying that 
Rakoba, quite frankly, was disgusted by, by training. <laughs> and curiously that he didn't actually bother training up on his free kicks. Uh, Maniero was, was saying that you know many of the other greats that he'd seen, Badjo Mihalovic, for example, would stay behind and just hone their technique, but Rakoba just couldn't be doing with all that. He was so late to training so often that I think at the end of his spell at Venezia, they bought him a massive clock to right. put in his house. Hang around his neck, flavor flav style. <laughs> yeah. He just didn't want to go to training. He simply had a, a, an issue with scheduling and authorities, and he did what he wanted when he wanted. Right. I, and I think that's part of the whole anti-establishment charm that he represents for a lot of people, particularly when, when he did things like on his debut for Inter. But you know what, Gab? It's a very valid view that you take on El Chino. Let's see if in the, the course of this show, when we look back on some of his more special moments, we can't change your mind just a little bit. You're listening to Galazzo, the totally Italian football show. Alvaro Recobra had done stuff early on in his career, as a teenager indeed, in, in Uruguay, debuted for Danubio as a 17-year-old, did enough to earn a move to Nacional by 19 and was still a team when he debuted for Uruguay as well. There's a lovely shot of uh, of him on his debut against Spain, basically with only his second touch of the ball in international football, doing a, a, a sombrero on Fernando Hierro. Which is nice. He's a very tall man, by the yeah. way. Yeah, he's got to go up a long way and come back down. Some, some great skills of him, what nutmegging Patrick Vieira as well. I oh, mean, really? I mean, there is. If you, if you look at it, look for it on YouTube. There's one where it's just a compilation of ten minutes of him doing some of the most famous players in the world, and particularly defenders. I mean, there's one where he sits Walter Samuel down at one stage. The wall, just, just incredible. All right. So anyway, he did enough. I mean, he did spectacular numbers for Nacional. And, and, and Sandro Mazzola, the, the former integrate who by then was uh, the, the Nero Zuri scout, uh, basically flags him up to Massimo Moratti, who, who falls in love, signs him up, I think, for very little money. Yeah, sette miliardi, was it? something? I mean, this was, was the same summer that Ronaldo, Diego Pablo Simeone. Okay, right. And Ronaldo. So, I mean, he was not kind of... Under the radar, about, but certainly under the radar. Right on that August afternoon in 1997, which we always seem to return to. It's a funny kind of crossroads of many Italian football stories. When Rocobo was making his debut, Ronaldo, the phenomenon, was making his debut, and a certain Dario Hubner was making his Serie A debut. <laughs> uh, age 45. Age 45 or more for Brescia as they travelled to San Siro to take on Inter. Uh, it was the day that Princess Diana had died in in, in Paris. It was a Bizarre atmosphere everywhere, I think. And the stage, certainly in football terms, was set for Ronaldo to begin his reign. But as we've discussed before, it didn't go that way. Cervoni, Brescia's keeper, was saving everything Ronaldo could throw at him. And indeed, Brescia had gone 1-0 up through Dario Hubner when uh, Ricoba, who Gigi Simone had thrown on in desperation for Maurizio Gantz, collected the ball, what, 25, 30 metres out and just unleashes an absolute rocket. Signori, un lampo improvviso dai 25 metri e entra e segna Alvaro Recoba. And Hupner afterwards said that well, this was only a few years ago um, that uh, he really chose that that day to score one of the five goals he scored in seven years and ruin everything for me. <laughs> That's right. He only played about five games in seven years, but he has to come and do that on my day. All right, and he wasn't finished either. That makes it one-one with ten minutes to go. Five minutes later, there's a, a free kick. I think even further out, and this is just extraordinary, Gab. This even is almost, I mean, in my memory, this free kick is just inside the half all the way to the side. Now, mm. it, 
might not be the case, and I haven't looked it up again on YouTube. It's not quite that. But it's about thirty-five meters. But in my, I like, I like to yeah. keep it that way. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't <laughs> want to break the myth. No, or... he's standing outside the stadium. <laughs> 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 It's kind of impressive that he's even taken. I mean, this is a, a, a little-known Uruguayan. He's what twenty at the time, mm. and he's, he's he's basically in this massive team which is packed with stars like so I don't know, Ronaldo, Jokaev, etc. But he he steps up to take it, and it's, he doesn't thunder it in. He absolutely curls it into the top corner. Mihailovic, like 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 one of the Mihailovic curlers. You know how Mihailovic could could smack it and he could curl it. That, that's kind of what it reminded because the angle the ball takes. And you know it's entirely under control the whole time. And you know, just thinking back to what you said about what, what Mignero said about him, about how he didn't practice free kicks, and you ask yourself, well, how is this possible? Mm. How can you just walk up and have this sort of familiarity with the ball, right? All the stuff about ten thousand hours dedicated practice, blah blah blah. I mean, you there's some mad fired, urban legends all this about nonsense. this where he would be, you know, training with medicine balls so he could get that kind of ballistic power but this involves Rokoba training <laughs> so, so and then there was the other thing where they would play short-sided games in Uruguay and he would take the goal kicks and just always trying to score from goal kicks but even that that doesn't really square with the, the personality of Rokoba that we know well, it was an extraordinary debut and if he'd come in under the radar he certainly didn't leave that way from San Siro that afternoon very much the headline and people predicting it was going to be the start of something big um, it, it wasn't uh, he only scored one more goal that season. That or the, the following weekend now. Admittedly, well, it was from the halfway line. <laughs> <half-way> line? <laughs> yeah, it was. Which kind of backs up your your goal kick theory. Yeah, it was against Empoli. And, and, uh... <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, like, he talks through that. Like, he's like, I saw the goalkeeper was off his line. He kept coming off his line because Empoli liked to play, not a high line, but they were kind of transitioning towards having a sweeper keeper and just was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this. And he did this over and over again. He seemed to watch goalkeepers all the time because another trademark thing that Rokobi used to do was he'd score from corner kicks all the time. Mm. Yeah. And he scored six, I think, in his career, one against Empoli. And that was purely because he was like, I saw this goalkeeper was being a bit cocky in this game, kept coming off his line, so I, I thought I'd show him. he scored three at the end of his career when he got really sort of old and whatever and he went back. I think it was at Nacional and... The nice thing about Rokoba is even when he got old, it didn't really make much of a difference because, you know, he had stopped running years ago. I think he stopped running in, in you know, the year after Venezia. Um, I think I'm right saying he, he scored three goals from corner kicks in a single season. Right. You know, between the Libertadores and the, and the league, which is just unreal. And again, and you ask yourself this question, if you can do that from a corner kick, which is the laws of the game say is actually a direct free kick, why can't you do that every single freaking time? Mm from a free kick, which should be a lot easier, right? And, and, and you just don't know and the because thing, the guy doesn't make any sense. And Gabby, I mean, you were right in, in saying that every time he took a free kick, he was in complete control of what he was doing, trajectory, everything, to the point that he would take free kicks and he would specifically target the post which the goalkeeper had covered, the one that he was closest to, because he wanted to humiliate the goalkeeper. And he did it over and over again. There's one where you see, the, the well, I think, a free kick against Bologna, which is going out, 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 and then it just comes in at the last moment. And it's just there to just... Telecomandato. Exact. Mm. <laughs> well, for all that he was, for much of his career, a tremendously frustrating figure, there was one brief period when he absolutely shone, and consistently so, and that came with his move to Venezia. So, following season from his debut, it's the 98-99 campaign, 
and basically Inter have everyone. They have Ronaldo, they have Zamorano, they have Roberto Baggio. (laughs) So there's not much room for El Chino, who managers seem to already be taking a certain view on. So he is packed off. He's sent off on loan to Venezia, a Venezia side who look basically destined for the drop. They've just been beaten 6-2 by Inter at San Siro, and it's a, it's a massive coup for them. And how was it that they managed to suddenly get hold of Moratti's favourite Inter player? Well, their sporting director at the time was a guy called Beppe Marotta. That sounds a familiar name. <laughs> a figure of, of huge importance in, in Italian football in terms of the deals he's made and, and the guy who's regarded in many ways as the architect of, of the Juventus team that's dominated the last seven years. We'll talk more about Morata later on because, as you mentioned, he made a sudden and unexpected exit from the uh, Turinese Giants only this week. But anyway, so he manages to get in Ricoba. And despite the fact that Ricoba and Pippo Maniero, who is kind of the star player up front for Venezia, have never really met before and don't even, according to Maniero, speak the same language because Maniero says that everyone was just speaking Venetian dialect in that team. They, they they look like they were born to play together. Yeah, so, so Pippo Maniero, for those who don't remember him, is sort of a, a, a target man type. Think like Vieri with less charisma, less talent, and less intelligence. Uh, I think the comparison more... he wanted was Cantona. Do you remember how he used to go around with his collar up? Yeah, I... but other than the collar, I mean, there's nothing... <laughs> <laughs> like, and my memory of this is Venezia playing on the counterattack as they always did and somehow after parking the bus because they really only had two attacking players just clearing the ball Ricoba picking up the ball usually you know inside his own half looking up and seeing Pippo Maniero sort of trundling forward and him hitting some ridiculous pass with the outside of his boot usually Ricoba on, on, on the right hitting it with his with, with the outside of his left boot to Maniero, who would be running in from, from from the left, way up the pitch, and Maniero either hitting it first time or, or trapping it and shooting, and everybody being like, how did that pass get to him? I mean, you can go on YouTube. In my memory, it happened about 20 times. Mm. Again, it probably didn't. It was probably well, only you four know or five. What? It, it might have been. I mean, uh, certainly he got nine assists that year in 19 games. And He's, 11 goals. And 11 goals. And Maniero got 12 goals. This is just in the second half of that season. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, if the season had started when Ricoba joined the team, they would have got into Europe. Um, and I think the astonishing thing was his first game played against Juventus they drew 1-1 no one was expecting that because they'd just been hammered by Inter second game however it's kind of going back to the old Venezia they were 2-0 down against Empoli and then all of a sudden they come back I think the winning goal they've got a free kick sort of inside left position Ricoba puts it in and it's very much like that Qualiadella goal we saw earlier this season against Napoli where Maniero has his back to goal and manages to lift it with his back heel and put it in. They managed to get themselves out of the relegation zone at last, almost by accident. <laughs> this is, of course, the, the Tutor game against Bari. Oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah, so basically this is the 24th of January of that year and Venezia are drawing 1-1 on a foggy day at the Penzo Stadium mm. in the Lagoon. And it's 1-1 when Venezia's Brazilian uh, well, attacking, kind of wide attacking player, Tutor, yeah. Scores to make it 2-1, turns around to look for his celebrating teammates. And <laughs> they all find their back to him. They are furious. And if they're furious, Bari, their players are even angrier and there are scuffles in the tunnel and the whole thing and looks the, very dubious the indeed. The funny thing about this is that actually at the time, very few people noticed it 
until that evening, a reporter for Mediaset, who at the time was married to Paolo Condal, I'm blanking on her name. She's like cutting the video and she's like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. Because immediately after the game, everybody kind of shut up about it. And it was like, oh yeah, you know, Tuta did well, didn't he? Right. And then she showed the whole video. She showed the video and she showed like, I don't know if they had stuff from the tunnel or whatever. And that raised the question of what was going on. Was he not supposed to score? Yeah. I mean, it's obvious from that tunnel video because, you know, both sets of of players are turning on and saying, what have you done, you idiot? What have you done? And it's just, wow, it's pretty, pretty dark. Although they were both cleared. Both cleared. Nothing to see here. (laughs) Face inquiry. Extraordinary. All right. Well, moving on. The the, the game against Fiorentina was probably the highlight of Rakoba's spell in Venice's hat trick. Let's just enjoy some local commentary on that. Venezia, the Venice club, took on Fiorentina. Right off the bat, that man, Alvaro Rakoba, with the free kick. Keep an eye on him, folks. He's going to do a lot of damage today. Right past the keeper, in your face. That's Fox Sports bringing the magic of Rakoba and Venezia to uh, their viewers back in far away 1999. After the Fiorentina game, they also beat Inter. Yeah. 3-1, was it? Yeah. And Ricoba, a big part of that, and that's when Moratti was like, right, we're bringing him back, and I'm going to give him a massive raise. <laughs> the biggest pay deal <laughs> in the world. Yeah, I mean, there's some, some debate about that, but if it wasn't the biggest, it was it was the top three at right. the time. For but, a player who, previous to going on the mid managed what, three goals in a season? Yeah. Fieri, in his book, tells this anecdote about um, when, I think in 2002, so after they'd lost the title on the final day of the season, they have a chance to sign Alessandro Nesta. So Vieri gets on the phone to Ronaldo and Ricoba and says, look, I'm up for a pay cut if you are, so we can sign Nesta. And I think Ronaldo at this stage is away with, with Italy. Uh, so, so Ronaldo at this stage is away with Brazil um, at the World Cup and he's unreachable. But Rakoba, I think, isn't, and he isn't unreachable because he's gone fishing (laughs) for for weeks and weeks. So they can't get hold of him. Ultimately, they can't do the deal because even though they were willing to take a pay cut, uh, Moratti wasn't prepared to pay him what uh, Milan was. But um, Mm. it just goes to show that this guy, I I mean, when I I read that a few years ago, I was like, hang on a minute, Rakoba is the highest paid player with with Vieri and Ronaldo. It just does not make sense. It's Moratti ball. And it's extraordinary that it didn't work out when you think the managers who had uh, Ricoba at their disposal, Lippi, Hector Cooper, Roberto Mancini. Um, I mean, yeah, one I'm, of those is not like the others. But, no, yeah. okay, but no, I'm just thinking that none of, them seem like the, none of them seem like the kind of managers who would have any Hodgson. place. Uh, Hodgson as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you go back to that <laughs> Two season, of them are not like the others. Okay, well, you had on. pretty much everybody be- was an mi- inter-manager in that, that period because they, they were going through three, four... Allenatore a, a season. Injuries played a part in this. Definitely his attitude to training, but also Pasportopoli. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, he was uh, initially banned for a year because Luisito Suarez, the original one, who was part of Helenio Herrera's Ballon d'Or winner. Ballon d'Or Much winner. respect. Um, Do you know I got killed on Twitter for referring to him as the original Luis Suarez? Oh, that's just crazy. Yeah. By crazy Liverpool fans a few years ago. <laughs> but he flies to Tenerife, essentially, to find a, uh, find a great-grandfather for, um, for Ricoba. Claims to have found one, but um, so wasn't really time, his great-grandfather. At the time, there was, a, I think, a five non-EU player limit. In your squad. In your squad. Yeah. So, routinely, South American players would find uh, some kind of antecedent who, or some kind of relative who had Spanish or Italian or Portuguese roots and... and 
would be furnished with a passport on that basis. Rogoba had a, a Spanish passport, which turned out to be invalid, given a one-year ban, and that was then reduced to four months at a very delicate time, as I recall, for Inter. They, they, they actually were kind of down to their bare bones. I can't remember who was injured, probably Ronaldo at the time. I remember meeting, actually, Rogoba at Piano Gentile, the training ground, during this. And was he training? No, well, this was after training, and, and he was in the middle of his, his ban, and I kind of was expecting him to be feeling that the subject was a little bit delicate, you know, the shame of being banned for this kind of criminal activity, etc. But he was all smiles and seemed almost as if he was rather enjoying having the time off in the middle of his season. <laughs> well, the passport he, he had, the Spanish passport he got, was a real passport, but it was fraudulently mm. obtained. For reasons known only to Ricoba, he was also stopped with a fake Italian driver's license. Do you remember this? Do you, do you understand no. why you would have a fake driver's license? A lot of false papers going around in yeah, Italian I, football this time. And, and, and the, issue, the issue with this, as I recall, is I, I remember being befuddled at the time. I'm like, you're old enough to drive. You were in Uruguay. Like, did you never take your driver's test? What did you do? Like, and I realized, and I wouldn't be surprised if honestly, he had a proper driver's license in Uruguay and he just lost it one day and said, oh, I need or, to write away maybe to get he a new just one. never bothered to take the test. Because he was too lazy. Possibly. He must have had a driver's license. He's, he's an adult, right? No, lots of people don't have driver's license, Cal. Not in, I mean, not in South America. One of the things that, again, blew the lid off this Passaportopoli thing was Udinese were playing in the UEFA Cup, were they? And they, were, they had to go to Poland. They're going through passport control, and they've got two Brazilian players, Albert and another one. Alberto, I think. Alberto. And, um, yeah, the the customs officer's like, well, these passports don't check out. There were some... I mean, he managed to hang around six years at Inter after his return from well, Venezia. Like it's a great fee, right? You sign an enormous contract. They can't physically get rid of you. They can't shoot you like they do with horses. You're stuck there. You turn down every single move because, obviously, nobody wants to sign... Everybody who might even consider signing you would demand that you take a pay cut. Um, it's a good life, right? Mm-hmm. A bit of fog in a piano gentile, but that's fine, you know. And that's all he did. I mean, he was what there for five kind of years, where he was you know, he had the chances to be in the team and prove himself and live up to expectation. And then he the- did have one under Lippi. Actually, he did have one particularly good season. And under Mancini, you know that that famous Inter Sampdoria game where oh. they're like two nil behind going into the ninetieth and they win three three two. He was key in that. Scored one of the, yeah. the comeback goals. Absolutely missed the penalty though in the Champions League playoffs. Yes. Yeah. yeah I mean, I come mean, on now. I, was... I, I'm sorry. I, if I sound conflicted, I can appreciate the magic and the artistry, and I'm all for romantic figures who are beyond the rules and iconoclasts. But there has to be some sort of message behind it, <laughs> and there isn't with this guy. And he missed a penalty, which could have changed the course of Inter's history. Right. Because he scores that penalty, Inter go on to win the Champions League with Mancini which then means that Moji goes to prison earlier and there's no Calciopoli. Italian football doesn't get kicked in the nuts. Jose Mourinho never materializes. You don't win the 2006 World Cup, though. Yeah, that's a trade-off, <laughs> I suppose. But there's an alternate history, which, again, all hinges on the fact that Ricoba missed that penalty. Right. Sliding doors. Sliding doors. Anyway, in 2007, after... Ten years, one way or another, with the Nerazzurri, he goes to Torino to rejoin Novellino, his manager at Venezia. It's the last year of his contract. 
uh-huh. and they're going to only take him on loan. Right. Like at that point, it's just like, and you know who paid his wages when he was in, in Torino. I'm sure as hell it wasn't Movellino in Torino. Yeah. yeah. So, well, anyway, this monument to Moratti and folly then goes to Greece, to Panionios. Yeah, for, what, a year and a half or so? Then he goes home, and where he quietly kept going, or quietly from my point of view, I'm barely aware that he was still playing until the age of 40, indeed. He, he finally waved goodbye in March 2016, his, in an exhibition game which featured current and past uh, Nacional players and a team of Amigos del Chino, which featured Riquelme. Valderrama, Veron, Ivan Zamorano, and Christian Vieri. And we, with the president of Uruguay watching from the stands, that's how big a figure Rocobo was. Yeah, I simply recall him also scoring a stoppage time free kick in the derby against Peñarol. Yeah. yeah. Which At the age of 38. Persuaded one of his teammates to then get a Rocobo tattoo really? on, his, <laughs> <Yeah>. on his arm. <laughs> wow. All right, well, you know what, Gab? Have you won... Was Rokoba just a colossal waster who blew opportunities many would have sold their soul to have? Or was he a glorious, outside-the-rules figure, a rebel in the industrialised world of football? I don't know, listener. It's a tough one to decide, but we sure did enjoy having him around. Any final thoughts on Alvaro Rokoba before we talk about modern stuff? I suppose we've, we've talked a lot about those free kicks, those goals from the halfway line. Check out the goal he scored against Lecce, where he has his back to goal and he manages to flick it over the defender's head and then finish with it his back goal. to goal. With his back to goal, yeah. In- incredible goal. Gab, have we won you over? Has your heart melted a little bit? <laughs> Clearly not. I will say this about Rokoba, having spoken to a lot of his teammates, um, and knowing one of them who I think was there with him for five of those years when he wasn't good anymore. He was a nice person. Mm. He, well, he still is presumably a nice guy. He's somebody who, while he would frustrate you in training or whatever, you couldn't say mad. He remained that kid of 14 who never broke out out of, of his like lazy teenage adolescent thing. But then he knew he could manipulate his parents or his dad, Moratti in this case, with just like a little smile and always just give you just enough to keep you going. So it was impossible for people to get angry with him. Yeah. And there was a lot of angry men in that inter-team, sort of circa, you know, 2003, 2004, 2005, a lot of angry, frustrated men, many, believe me. One of whom was Nicola Ventola, who uh, would take on El Chino at Pro Evo on PlayStation mm-hmm. and would put all of his concentration and focus into trying to beat him whilst Rokoba would have like a chopper chop in his mouth, would be having a conversation over his shoulder and would be beating him like six and seven nil. <laughs> Apparently amazing at PlayStation, yeah. Right. Well, uh, Alvaro Rokoba, wherever you are, we salute you and time to move on after this to round seven of the season. <laughs> round seven of the season was pretty good, Gab. Did you like it? Yeah, I thought we saw some saw some really good games, mm-hmm. saw some good stories. I, the Rome derby, Lorenzo Pellegrini got so much abuse. And I know we've spoken about this before, right? But Rome is kind of a different sort of reality to the rest of the universe. And the derby for people who are from Rome and who are Romanisti has like a special meaning. And I don't think there's anybody who's, who took more abuse this season for the, in the first few games, other than perhaps Di Francesco, than Lorenzo Pellegrini. To the point that remember it was the game he had that stupid dive and everything tried to win the pat. I mean, he got so much, and for him to go and to play so well 
and to be such a key figure. That was nice. I mean, that, that was heartworking. That, that was like when, you know, those cheesy stories we tell ourselves like, oh, you know, when you're down, uh, you know, keep fighting and, you know, your moment will come, you know. That's exactly what he did. And as Gab said, for, for, for guys who are from Rome, you know, often that occasion can be too much for them. I mean, I remember that derby where you had Ranieri take off Totti and De Rossi because, you yeah, know, they just, they clearly weren't able to express themselves in a the way they were just too tense because of it. So mm-hmm. um, Lazio were on top of that stage in that game. So, yeah. His season looks to be taking off after we saw him in Victoria Pilsen as well. And you could, yeah, you could say the same thing for, for Roma as a whole because fantastic form from them. Since uh, getting hammered by Real Madrid uh, and then subsequently losing to Bologna, they've really begun to put a run of form together. Although, actually, when you look at who they've beaten, Lazio aside, Frosinone and a desperately poor Victoria Pilsen. I mean, they've scored 12 goals and conceded only one is three. It, it does look better. We'll, we'll see when they take on somebody else, like CSKA Moscow in the next round of. Uh, the Champions League. Juve were in absolutely dazzling form against Napoli on Saturday night, just after the Rome derby. And they also had a big win midweek at home to young boys. Yeah, I mean, they kind of killed the title race. At least it feels that way. Already six points clear. I actually thought Napoli played very well first 20 minutes of that game. Mm. Um, I thought they pressed Juventus really well and uh, forced a mistake, which led to the, the first goal. And as Carlo Ancelotti said afterwards, even when they went down to 10 men, Cajon has a incredible chance to, to level it Cajon up at 2-2. Scores that, it's 2-2. Yeah. You can have a different conversation about it. And I think Ancelotti actually, and obviously I'm biased here, but you know, he said, look, we lost away to Juventus. That can happen in the same way that it can happen that they come to our place and, and we beat them. More important is the performance that they saw that they put out there. And... Mm-hmm. You know, you go, you dial it back, that red card for Mario Rui, so, so stupid. I presume he forgot that he'd been booked. You can also argue, too, that Bonucci's reaction afterwards, and he gets away scot-free, and you can bring up Pjanic against Inter last year if you really want to be unkind. But I thought you have really played so, 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 so well, mm. leaving the, the controversy aside, that yeah, fully deserved. And Milan, surprisingly, Sunday night, without Cutrone, without Higuain, but absolutely taking Sassuolo apart. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing about Milan this season. If you don't look at the results, if you just base them on the performances, they played really well and they played a kind of style of football that I don't think anyone expected from from Gattuso um, because you know, I was very sceptical when he, he got the job what, last November that he was just down this blood and thunder um, Grinta kind of guy and instead they're playing out from the back keeping the ball on the floor nice intricate kind of little passing patterns and they're really good to watch mm. and yeah they went to a Sassuolo side who'd been flying high really impressed on the Dizerbi without as you mentioned all those key players up front you know there was a bit of criticism of Leonardo in the in the week for basically getting rid of Andre Silva who's had a very good start to the season in La Liga and yeah they, they played really well finally Suzo kind of um getting some end product really um getting some goals um, rather than just kind of showing flashes of, of of his talent i think really encouraging from milan who i expect will push for a champions league place this year without right that. tackle of the season by uh, abate no oh yeah it's extraordinary uh, i can't remember who was clear through from sassuolo but uh, abate at the age of as you say 45 streaking back and and, and robbing that's the ball. another one what's that <laughs> this guy abate yeah, what is it, like 20 years at Milan? Yeah. Uh-huh. I know he had a stint, and, and obviously he used to be a winger at Torino, and he's super fast and everything. And It's called Ignazio as well. Yeah, which is another issue. But 
what is it? The last seven years, he's played like seven games. He's like on the Mattia de Ciglio plan. Mm. You know, I <laughs> I don't know. Like, he's the kind of guy you look at and you say, you've been earning a salary or you've been getting paid a salary all these mm. years. You know, what's the issue? You know, stay fit and contribute. Don't leave us wondering with this great regret. Oh, you're about- a tough crowd, Gabriel. No, but it's... What do you but- think of Milan's chances against Olympiacos in the Europa League? I think Milan have the squad to to do both, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't... I think managers of... Or the sense in Italy is definitely... And it's a positive, I think, in the last three, four years. The old excuse about, oh, no, let's let's, well, let's treat the Europa League like they treat the League Cup in England and play the... You know, no. Get your qualification, and then once you're in the knockouts, then you evaluate. And um, and I'm glad Milan are taken seriously. I mean, right. it's not as simple as this, and obviously teams drop into the Europa League once they oh, yeah. fail to get out of the Champions League group stage. But you look at that team's in there at the moment. I mean, who's got a better striker than, than Higuain? You know, only maybe Aubameyang can be in that same conversation. And he's playing on the wing now anyway, so yeah. technically. So, I mean, Milan should should aspire to do something in that right. competition. Uh, Olympia, because they're away this Thursday. No, it's at San Siro. At San Siro, okay. Other news, Piontek, we, we talk about him in the Totally Football Show on, on Monday and the extraordinary start of the season. He's having the new Lewandowski. 12 goals so far this season, 8 in 6 in Serie A. He's the only player in Europe to have scored, in Europe's big five leagues, to have scored more league goals this season than... The aforementioned Andre Silva. Okay. Who, by the way, before, in case you're wondering, Milan loaned him to Seville, who are, I think, they're one point behind off the top in La Liga. And Seville have a buyback option for 35 million euros, which if you're a Milan fan, you say, well, at least you get most of your money back. Mm. And, you know, you just kind of... You just kind of chalk it up as a as a loss, <laughs> and uh, and and just move on. But at least you get you know Milan will get something back from him. Right. I mean, Piontek's an amazing story because I mean, this guy. It's not like he's seventeen, eighteen. He's not a shick, you know, who's just kind of come out of nowhere. How old is he? He's twenty three. I mean, and that's the surprising thing mm. is that this guy was playing in in the Polish league um, until the summer. They managed to sign him for, what, €4 million? Euro. Genoa have made such a big deal about how Preziosi was the one who basically saw this video and he was the one who found him. Not, you know, Perinetti, the sporting director or anything like that. It's Preziosi, Colpo um, of him. Another of the legendary Italian club owners. <laughs> I think actually, you know what? I think I might hate Preziosi I was gonna say, more yeah. than all of them, yeah. right. with the possible exception of Cellino. In an upcoming... Colazzo, we'll have to tell the story again of uh, Preziosi and the briefcase. And yeah. Can we get Christian Panucci in that day? Oh, yeah, that's guess? amazing. I'm not sure if I'm familiar with that story. In the car oh. park where he's... Um... Throughout the, he, he like follows him around the stadium. And, and <laughs> Panucci's from Genoa. He was a former Genoa player. And there was some issue where he was supposed to come back to Genoa and he didn't agree. And then Preziosi, I don't know if he rubbish Panucci or so Panucci has too much money. So Panucci confronts him. Uh, at a game, and when Panucci, Panucci is another guy who's not perhaps the most stable character mentally. Um, Currently managing Albania, is that right? That's ju- yeah, that's correct. But I think he's reformed a little bit. Mm-hmm. But he totally, he totally loses it, and he go and Preziosi. For those who don't know, Preziosi is from Avellino, which is near Naples, and he has. I know, like it's common to make fun of thick regional accents everywhere in the world. But his accent is terrible. He's really bad. It's even like if you're from Avellino and you hear him talk, you say like you've got some sort of cartoonish version of our own accent. On top of that, he's a very uneducated man who sometimes like isn't very big on grammar. 
and sometimes just kind of drop words, right? And there's this wonderful thing where Panucci goes afterwards and what does he say? It's like, he's like, I'll break your teeth. He says, why don't you learn to speak Italian? You've been living in this country for 40 years. Learn the language, you know, which is because obviously Preziosi is yeah. Italian, albeit from Avellino. So it's, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just, you just see this guy lose his grasp. And then you see Preziosi. And the funny thing is, Panucci, this is really childish and mean. But every time Preziosi opens his mouth, you can see he's got this look in his face. Wait, if I speak, he's going to make fun of my accent even more and the way I speak, you know? <laughs> mm. Well, Preziosi special, definitely, on the agenda. Anyway, uh, listen, one other thing we should talk about uh, is the sudden exit of Beppe Marotta, uh, the chief executive at Juventus mm-hmm. from the club, which was announced, I think, on Tuesday? Or was it Monday? Well, I know, he, he announced it after the game. I mean, that was the Oh, straight after the game thing. on Saturday, right. Yeah, I mean, he comes out for a kind of flash interview. No one was expecting him to do that, and he announces that his name would not be on the list for, what, the new board that they're they're putting together, for, what, for the end of this month. Yeah, obviously caused a lot of shock. I mean, there was already rumours that morning, because I think he bumped into a few journalists in the middle of Turin, mm. basically said that um, he was no longer on the same wavelength as, as the, the president, Andrea Agnelli. And there's a lot of speculation about the reasons behind the fracture in what has been a very strong and successful relationship for the last eight years. Marotta, Paratici, Agnelli credited as being the reason behind uh, Juventus' return to the top of the game. And yeah, whenever people cite what is behind Juventus' success over the last eight years and why the other teams are behind it, it's because they do not have the kind of solidity, continuity that they have behind the scenes in the form of, of the club, essentially. Mm. The club is behind the success, not the manager, not the team. They do obviously have an impact, but the club and the planning that is there is the key um, to Juventus' success over the last I mean, it, it might seem odd to people who don't follow Italian football about how the next 40, 72 hours were kind of dominated by this. And yeah. When Ivan Gazidis left Arsenal, it's not like we all sat there and spent days and days talking about it. Um, but... In some ways, it is a sort of Italian peculiarity. On the other hand, I think it's a very relevant story because this is somebody who is pushed away from a job. I think it speaks a lot about Agnelli and some of the suggestions that that came out are that, well, Agnelli's focused on 20... You know how Agnelli's obsessed with creating a... You'd love this especially, James, a European Super League to Mm. be played on, on, on Saturdays with sort of groups of 12 that would keep playing each other incessantly so that just so he can fill that stupid stadium of his. Um, <laughs> hopefully, inshallah, it'll never happen and Agnelli will go back into his box. But the thinking, and I can only assume this was briefed by his people, is that, well, but Marotta's going to be in his 60s by the time the European Super League starts in 2024 and we need people who are younger and more dynamic. Like I- Arriva Bene. <laughs> <laughs> like whatever other weirdo clones he's going to he's going to generate. What do you I, make of the suggestion that Marotta's for his next move is going to join Inter? I <laughs> that would be such an Inter move, wouldn't it? Well, he's come out and he said like you know I hope to be back in Serie A at the mm. start of the 2019-20 season, mm. uh, probably at a different club. And he's also been linked to going to the uh, taking would, over the Italian FA, right? Um, but he's he's scotched those reports, I think, hasn't he? He has, yeah. He, has, yeah. he would represent something of an upgrade for Inter because of all their problem positions, whether it's left back or whatever. The, the actual man in charge of signing players, I think, has, has been the long term problem at that club. And that's funnily enough, that man got yeah. a new. Uh, he's yeah. getting new contracts yeah. too. Alcilio is like the sporting director equivalent of Ricoba, um, I would say. Yeah, but it's the same. But that's an age old problem at Inter, right? Yeah. 
That's, like, yeah. It's like the one area where Inter screw up back when they had money or they were able to spend money more than anybody, whether it was Ausilio, Branca, oh. Lele Oriali, right? These people never left, right? They kept sacking managers, sacking players, saying them on the, and yet there was never any accountability mm. or responsibility taken. But this Marotta thing is, I think, is, is one to watch. There's even one paper, Corriere Sport, even suggested that, oh, look, he's going to go to Manchester United mm. with Antonio Conte. Now, I think now that's, that's a bit far-fetched. I'm not even sure what the relationship... I can't imagine the relationship between Conte and Marotta is that good. Well, they mm. were together at Juve, obviously, but... Uh, but we know how well that ended when, when Conte left. Mm. Um, he didn't give him enough money to dine at five-star restaurants. Yeah, exactly. and, and to buy Juan Cuidrado, right. which is, you know, the, the breaking point in that relationship. But the other thing that I think is interesting is Marotta occupies a space where he's a chief executive, but then he's also like a transfer market guru type which then Fabio Paratici, who is the actual sporting director, supposedly there. You don't really know where one ends and the other begins. Exactly, Gab. And I think the other thing is is that Marotta and Paratici have always come as a team. They've always come as a package. I mean, he was his right-hand man at Sampdoria. They came together. They've always worked together. We saw Agnelli at um, a meeting of the of the league on Monday say Paratici's going nowhere. He's probably going to get more power. Um, along with Pavel Nedved, they're not necessarily going to replace Marotta. But I would maybe watch that as well. Well, while you're taking time out from watching Chief Executives and the like, you can also watch uh, fixtures this weekend like Lazio Fiorentina. Diving Chiesa. <laughs> Diving Chiesa. Udinese Juventus. Uh, Milan taking on Chievo and Empoli Roma. Hmm. Interesting. An eclectic set of fixtures, which we'll be looking back on next week alongside some other more retro-styled uh, musings. Gabriele, are you with us next Wednesday? I believe I am, yeah. Excellent news. And James? Yeah, is it a Preziosi special? <laughs> what we could do. Let's see. Let's see, because that briefcase story really is a treat. That brings us to the end of this edition of Golazzo. Many thanks to James and Gabrielli and you, listener, for joining us from all of us here. It's Arrivederci. You've been listening to Galazzo, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and make sure you check out our other podcasts this season. The Totally Football League Show with Caroline Barker and the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven. <laughs>